So as you know, we are working through, as we started last week, the Sermon on the Mount, which I imagine we will be in for the rest of the year, uh, because it's going to cover Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we may just keep the momentum going and finish the book of Matthew. We'll see what happens. Um, Did you know that in the United States of America, one in six people have stopped talking to friends and or family because of politics. Not too bad. Did you know I went to a Braves game Friday night and um, we were trying to get out of the parking deck for about an hour or so. Just the traffic was moving about like this for an hour and um, people obviously wanted to get home and two Braves fans, two people from the same tribe called the Atlanta Braves, uh, one wanted to ease out before the other in the line and um, the person who got cut off lays on their horn long just I mean, like that. Just like, you messed up. And um, so then this girl, this fiery girl, hangs her head out the back window. Um, what, 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 what? Like that. Uh, sort of an Atlanta Braves tribal thing, I think. Um, and then commenced the pushing and shoving. All right. Uh, you, that, this, um, all over probably the difference between getting home five seconds sooner, all right, (laughs) maybe. Um, there was a young man back in the year 2005, his name was Stephen Cody Shelton, who's taking a class with his sister, who he was in competition with. It's the first time he ever got to take a class with her in high school, and he was set out to show her that he was the superior one of the two. And uh, there was an assignment, a writing assignment, that had this young man stressed out so bad, he rears back after coming home from a Wednesday night church service and punches his kitchen table, and then holds his hand up to his mother and says, I just broke my hand. And then his mother takes him to the hospital, as she had to do before, um, because of his antics. Um, All these are stories about anger. And Jesus here says, you have heard that it was said to an older generation, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subjected to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subjected to judgment. I want you to see what Jesus just did because this is important. Jesus just made murder and being angry with a brother equal. This is what Jesus was alluding to in our conversation we had last week of a righteousness that was going to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. There was a pious Christian man in a small group similar to what we do on Wednesday nights who 
somewhat boastfully said, I'm a Christian, therefore I don't get angry anymore. To which the group began probing him, so much so that he left furious. I'm glad y'all got the joke. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool, a fool gives full vent to anger. Some translations say, A fool expresses all his emotions. A fool gives full vent to anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9 says, Anger resides in the lap of fools. The book of James says, um, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, here's what we know. We get angry. And it is possible to do so and not sin. What Jesus is showing here is something a little different than anger because what is anger? It's an emotion. Oftentimes, it is synonymous with compassion. How many of you find yourself getting more angry with things that you feel responsible for than things that you don't feel responsible for? Right? So, for instance, your children. You would be more angry about the behavior of your children than the behavior of someone else's children. Why? Because you, you feel that you are responsible, that their behavior is actually your responsibility. Okay? So you'd be more likely to, to find yourself angry with that child. You'd be more likely to find yourself angry with a spouse than you would a friend of the opposite sex. True or false? So just getting angry is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not just talking about this emotion that wells up in us where we feel this fear or this impatience because, and this can be philosophically critiqued, um, so feel free to do that, but Here's my understanding of anger. Anger is impatient love. Why is that philosophically critiquable? Because love is patient. Therefore, anger can't be impatient love. But what anger is, is us trying to love impatiently. Um, anger is also... Fear expressed in control. Fear expressed in control. So anger is, for most of us, we've learned in our life that you can use anger as this resource to take hold of a situation and almost supernaturally expedite an outcome. I don't like the way this is headed. <laughs> Superpower of anger. Fix it, fix it, fix it. That is, so this is how anger, we're, we're seduced into anger. It's bad, I can fix it. I got a superpower. It's called anger. Now, almost always that anger is just a perversion of what love is supposed to be, which is patience, which is surrender, which is suffering, right? Um, so Jesus goes on to say, 
Whoever insults a brother will be brought before the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be sent to fiery hell. It's important that we figure out what he's saying here. Because if Jesus is saying, if you insult a brother, you will go to hell, we need to understand Anybody in here want to go to hell? Nobody? If, if what Jesus is saying here is, hey, if you call your brother a fool, you'll go to a fiery hell, then we need to go ahead and have a church consensus right now that says, is it just you fool that we can't say? Or is he talking about insults in general? What is Jesus trying to show? This is pretty harsh language. So then, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Notice this language. You are bringing your gift to the altar, and you remember not that you have something against a brother or a sister, but that somebody has something against you. This is interesting language. We're going to actually be here for a couple weeks. So how many of y'all's translations right there in verse... Um, 22 says raka. Ebony says it. John says it. The word raka, that's actually a, a better translation than what I'm reading out of here in the NET. So raka, they think, and we read this in our Wednesday night um, book this week, they think raka is a word that was derived because it comes from the sound that you make when you're harking up spit. So that, that was this insult that I'm like degrading you so much that you are basically the word that um, is phonetically synonymous with me harking snot up my throat. Um, raka, uh, in its original usage, would mean something like blockhead or idiot or feather brain. Now, here's what's, here's what's tough about our culture. This is first grade condescension in our culture. We got way worse four-letter words than feather brain. If you were only called a feather brain in high school, you would have come out beautifully, right? If the last time you were cussed out, somebody said, you are nothing but an absolute blockhead, you would say, that's, that's fair. Um... Here's what's interesting, though. Jesus says, if you even use the word feather brain, you should be subjected to the highest court in the land. Because what Jesus is trying to uproot here is this thing called contempt. Because anger sort of starts, and it is on this razor's edge of justice and injustice. That's where rain, anger sits right there. But how we use it determines whether or not we wind up in this category called contempt. And this is where our physical body actually starts being affected. This is where our stomach actually starts developing ulcers. This is where our heart actually starts having physical effects. This is where our head actually starts pounding. Because we have this thing that moved from 
this emotion of anger that could have gone this way into love but moved any, instead into this thing called contempt and it turns against our whole body. And Jesus said it starts by using, these were actually terms that were used in families where kids would uh, mock and degrade a sibling. He said it starts right there. Um, this fiery hell, I want to talk about this before we get into the sermon. This fiery hell is the word Gehenna. Um, Gehenna is the Greek there. It's just a reference to the Valley of Hinnom. Is literally what the translation is. The Valley of Hinnom. So when you see this, when you see the word hell in the New Testament, almost always it is the Greek word Gehenna, which is referring to an actual physical place, okay? Um, a little history on Gehenna. So Gehenna, is, here's Jerusalem. Southwest of Jerusalem is the Valley of Hinnom, which is this word Gehenna. Um, back several thousands of years ago, this was where human sacrifices were offered to the god Molech. So they would sacrifice humans in this valley. But it wound up in Jesus' time where the city's trash was burned. So outside the city wall on the southwest side of Jerusalem was where you could literally just throw your trash over the edge of the city wall and it would go into the Valley of Hinnom where there was a fire that was constantly burning. So this valley winds up being a very useful metaphor in Jesus' day for punishment because it is a fire that never ceases. Um, and we'll get into that on, an, on another day. Um, what I want us to see this morning is Jesus gets very specific and he moves from you've heard that it was said not to murder but I'll tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister is subjected to the judgment that you used to think was only relegated to the person who was angry or who, who committed murder, excuse me. Now, he then starts naming some things. He said, if you use this word raka, which is this feather brain, blockhead, idiot language, if you call somebody a fool, then you are easing into this thing that Jesus is trying to warn us about, which is contempt. You don't have to answer this question because it wouldn't help us if you did and it'd just be embarrassing, but there are several of us in this room I usually would pose this as a question. I'll just pose it as a statement. There are several of us in this room who have people in our lives who initially started out as people who just, we thought trespassed against us and we were angry, but because we didn't deal with it, because we didn't confront it, because we didn't do what Jesus is recommending here, those people over time moved into this category called contempt. So now every time we think about them, something happens to our physical body. And what happens is that time did not heal the wound. It actually made it more difficult to access. And so now this wound that was a surface wound has just gone deeper and deeper and deeper. This is both metaphorical and actual, deeper and deeper and deeper into our body. And Jesus is saying here, he offers this incredible antidote. He says, um, so then, here's how I would fix this if I were y'all. So this is Jesus, moving forward, this is what Jesus is wanting us to do. 
if you come and offer your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave. So we're at church. John is about to lead us in a worship and they get into this song that, oh man, we're about to really offer a gift to God here. And in my head comes, oh, but I think we're still in contention, me and him. To take this literally means you got to go home. You don't get to worship today. Now, at Grace and Peace in Knoxville, they have a, a portion of the service called Passing the Peace, which we will institute in our church after we finish the Sermon on the Mount. But you can't bring Passing the Peace into Heflin, Alabama. Because here's what happens during Passing of the Peace. They do this thing called confession, which we do each week, where we confess our sins. And they say, during the confession of the sin, they say, if you have something between you and a brother or sister, go and be reconciled to that brother or sister right now. Leave church. We'll see you next week. And people do. They leave. And the people that are left, they hear this thing that you guys heard just a minute ago. If you've confessed your sins and repented of them, if you have in turn forgiven those who've sinned against you, know this without a shadow of a doubt, you are forgiven. The whole church says, thanks be to God. And then they go to Alex and they say, Alex, the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, man. Because they know they are at peace with the people in their life and they're now getting to share this peace that God has given them with their brothers and sisters. I go up to Alex and say, peace to you, brother. He says, and also with you. And it winds up being this very beautiful time because what happens is sin which always manifests itself in a relational discord, has its defeat. We don't have that portion of our service because we ain't ready for it. <laughs> Just being honest. Because most churches in this part of the world, the way they are started is because of discord. So why would you have a portion of the service where people left? Then there wouldn't be no church. <laughs> How many worship services would we get to participate in if this were something that we thought was literal? I don't know, three a year? I'm serious. What, what do y'all think? Give me a number. We got 52 times a year we gather to offer a sacrifice to God. How many times would we have to leave our gift at the altar and go home? Now, in Jesus' day, these folks weren't riding in cars to offer their gift, and they, their gift wasn't coming from their heart. These jokers were carrying goats. Miles. Now, some of them had some transportation. Some of them had donkeys. Some of them had camels. So not everybody was carrying their sacrifice. Most folks who were able to offer something like a goat would have had the transportation to get them these miles. But, so a lot of folks, the poor folks especially, would have been carrying birds. But they would have been carrying birds miles and miles and miles to go and offer sacrifice at the temple because the temple wasn't everywhere like it is here in Cleveland County. So they'd be coming several miles walking to offer this sacrifice. And Jesus is telling these people, hey, if you get to the altar to offer your sacrifice and remember that somebody has something against you, this ain't even your fault. Leave your gift at the altar. Don't even sacrifice it. Leave it. Go, be reconciled, then come back and offer your gift. 
God would rather you not worship him. Over, let me rephrase it. God would rather you be reconciled over you worshiping him. Here's why. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who you guys hear me quote a lot. He says, when we come before God with hearts full of contempt, hearts unreconciled with our neighbors, we are, both individually and as a congregation, worshiping an idol. Three of you heard that, so I'm going to have to read it again. When we come before God with hearts full of contempt, unreconciled with our neighbors, we are both individually and as a congregation worshiping an idol. If week after week we can come in here and have vibrant worship services, and week after week we leave with venomous, malicious relational connections, we aren't worshiping God. Which scares me because the, the, the church in the United States of America right now is gathering with big-time productions and big-time lights and big-time music and people saying, Oh, to Jesus I surrender. F you, joker! I don't know if we was talking to Jesus just then. Because what happens when I'm actually worshiping the God who would rather die for his enemies than kill them is I become like him. To be required to confront those whom we believe have wronged us or who we have wronged is risky business. Most of us would never choose to engage in that type of conversation. It's just, and that's what we gotta understand. Cody, this is hard. <laughs> yeah, I gotta know. It's very hard. Um, early on when we started meeting, before we were even calling ourselves a church, we were meeting on Saturdays at Ryan and Missy's house and one of the conversations that we had for weeks at a time was we need to be close enough with each other to actually fight and disagree. Because if we're not, we're wasting our time. But we don't need to just fight and disagree for the sake of fighting and disagreeing. We need to be living life so close together where we can actually confront one another and be healed. If there is no reconciliation in our midst, Jesus is not Lord in our midst. Because he's the Lord of reconciliation. This is what Paul said. He said, um, God was in Christ on the cross reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or holding the, the trespasses of the world against them. Therefore, he has made us ministers, servants of reconciliation. What does it mean to be a minister or a servant of reconciliation? It means you are a minister or a servant that carries the ability to not impute someone's trespasses against them. How do you have that power? Because it was your property that they trespassed. You have the right to either take them to court, and this is 
literal or metaphorical. Take them to court or say you're forgiven. We'll press into that a little bit more next week. Um, I want to end with reading a bit from a book called Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Um, I was going to try to summarize this, but um, didn't want to. So here it is. This is basically Dallas Willard responding to all these ideas I just posed, like, okay, if Jesus is moving us from don't murder to don't be angry, and he's saying that the way this contempt starts is by calling someone an idiot or calling someone a fool or um, just not, you know, when someone crosses us, rather than like going to confront them, say, hey, who wants to be the person that confronts somebody and says, hey, you hurt my feelings. Who wants to be that person? Anybody here? No. Because we have mocked and ridiculed the person who says you hurt my feelings. And Jesus says this person is the one that looks the closest to the minister of reconciliation. Because what we act like is we ain't got no feelings. And all the while, we're burning with contempt. All the while, every time I get away from that person, I'm saying, I can't believe about that. This is our culture. Before we finish the Sermon on the Mount, church, this will not be us. Me and Alex are trying to craft a prayer right now for our church to get ready for this journey because we're about to experience the most character change we have experienced to date as a church. It's about to get messy for us. We're about to realize, oh shoot, I have not arrived. Every one of us are about to say, oh, we got some growing to do. Every one of us. And I'll keep you posted every week on what I'm having to confess of and repent of. Because it's about to be all of us. Of course, the legalistic tendency in the human self will immediately go to work. This is what Dallas Willard says. We immediately want to go to work. And the way we would do that is we would eliminate saying fool, idiot, blockhead, and feather brain. We'll never say that again. Never. It seems never to rest. It will ask, what if my brother refuses to be reconciled? Am I never to go to church again? Do I always have to do this no matter what else is at issue in the situation? The answer is obviously not. Jesus is not here giving a law that you must never carry through with your religious practice if an associate has something against you. He's not stating a law like thou shalt not kill. The aim of his illustration, and it is an illustration, is to bring us to terms with what is in our hearts and simultaneously to show us the rightness of the kingdom heart. We do not control outcomes and are not responsible for them, but only for our contribution to them. Does our heart long for reconciliation? Have we done what we can, honestly? Do we refuse to substitute ritual behaviors for genuine acts of love? This is the big point. Do we refuse to substitute ritual behaviors for genuine acts of love? This is to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's point earlier. 
Will we refuse to say, God, I will not say that you are beautiful again on Sunday if I'm unwilling to reconcile with my brother? Well, I refuse to, I just, I won't, I won't offer you uh, emotion again until I am reconciled. This would scare a lot of folks because then they'd say, well, what, that would prevent us from having people worshiping. Actually, I would say that would enable us to have people actually worshiping. Do we mourn for the harm that our brother's anger is doing to his own soul? To us and to others around us. If so, this is the big point, we are beyond the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees and immersed in God's ways. We can certainly find an appropriate way to act from such a heart without being given a list of things to do. I would say in my pretty young life, the hardest thing I have done in following Jesus is obey this, what we're talking about this morning. Confronting someone who I think has trespassed against me. The hardest thing. It's easier to talk about them. It's easier to physically fight them. It's easier to say to hell with you. It's just easier. And not only does that eternally connect me to a cord of malice between me and them, but it robs me of peace. It robs them of peace. I will say, y'all, if you're overwhelmed at even the idea, hold tight. Don't try it this week even. Don't try it yet. This is hard. I'm telling you it's hard. And we are so ingrained by a culture that does such the opposite that this is, this is way beyond what most of us are capable of. Way beyond what any of us are capable of without the Holy Spirit. But also, this sermon ain't going to let up. This Sermon on the Mount keeps its foot on the gas. And we think this idea is over with, and he keeps hitting us with it, and he keeps hitting us with it. And you'll think next week, finally, we're talking about something else, and then it comes back. I'm telling you, it just keeps circling back. It keeps circling back. It keeps circling back. So I'm not saying this week, go and be reconciled with everybody that you have contempt for. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying, whatever is happening to you right now, and most of you feel it, let it work.